All right, all right, open with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're actually going to read uh, the first few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, and then a verse at the end of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 12. So that's 1 Peter 1, 1, 2, and then 1 Peter 5, verse 12. All right, I'll let you get there for a sec. 1 Peter, toward the back of your Bibles. Right. Hear God's word to you this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now we're going to go to the end of the epistle, and we're going to read chapter 5, verse 12, where Peter tells us why he wrote this epistle. Bookends, as it were. Chapter 5, verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and to our lives this morning. You may be seated if you aren't already. All right. Well, relax, uh, get comfortable, because I have a word from God this morning. Uh, it's, it's been bubbling up inside of me. It's been uh, blessing me, just meditating on it, getting ready to present it to you all. And I, I just pray, I really do, that, that God would use it in your lives to, uh, to, again, as I mentioned earlier in the service, to hit the reset button so your eyes will be fixed on the prize of uh, Jesus' second coming when uh, he will finally bring us to our destination, our final destination for those who believe. All right, so I would say, um, y'all know, you all, I'm starting to sound Southern, so y'all, but everyone knows, if you know me at all, that one of my favorite authors is certainly C.S. Lewis. Uh, I just think God really blessed that brother some great wisdom in, in a, way, a way with words. And um, if I had to have, if I had to give a list of my top 10 quotes from him, the one I'm about to quote would, would certainly make that list. And he, he says this, he wrote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. <laughs> Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then the words that C.S. Lewis uh, penned should strike a chord deep in your heart. That should ring true uh, deep in your being. Why? Because as a believer in the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you were made for another world. This old world is not your final destination. So the old hymn has it right that says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <laughs> the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. <laughs> I love it. And it's certainly what the Apostle Peter teaches in his first epistle, his first letter. And it's something that we need to be reminded of again and again as we make our way through on this pilgrim journey from this life, as Pilgrim's Progress puts it, Pilgrim's Progress from this life to the life that is to come, which is to come. Uh, and its truth is actually more relevant today in many ways than it's ever been. When, for instance, and I use this just as an illustration, where people often associate their allegiance to their particular political party or group or maybe nationality or, or their earthly country with their allegiance to God. They confuse the two. Now, it's not that belonging to a particular party is in and of itself wrong or that, or that it's an ungodly thing to be a patriot. Rather, it's, listen, this is important. It's spiritually dangerous to equate a political party or even an earthly country with the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the heart of what this epistle really speaks to us, especially as we're in social media and we, you know, this is the time to be refocused, brothers and sisters, that it doesn't matter if we're from Africa or Italy or China or America, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our ultimate, our ultimate belonging is to another country. And we're united on that fellow citizens uh, with God's people. Now, it's not my opinion. It's what we're going to find here in 1 Peter. And it's my intention this morning to prove that as I expound the first few verses and, and then just one verse from the end. And as we look at it together, we're going to see this this morning. As we face the trials and tribulations of this life, and make no mistake about it, if you're a Christian, you're going to face them to some degree. We must remember two things. There's two things we got to remember we got to remember who we are. And secondly, we got to remember whose we are. In other words, we got to remember who we are, our identity. And we also have to remember to who we belong. Okay, those are the two things. Now, the first thing we're going to look at, and then we're going to spend our lion's share of the time on this, is, is who we are. And Peter tells us uh, something that to me was so exciting to, to, to rediscover myself in our study. And I hope it will be for you this morning as well, too. You, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, are an elect exile. I'm going to unpack that, so don't worry about it. But for now, you are an elect exile. So look at the first verse. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So the first thing I want to point out from this text that's so exciting to me is that Peter refers to these early believers who were scattered through the area we know today as Turkey and a little bit of Asia. He refers to them as strangers and as scattered. Uh, two Greek words that are very important here. Now the word translated here as strangers is used three times in the New Testament. Twice it's in 1 Peter, and I believe right in this first chapter. And once it's in Hebrews 11. And it carries the idea of pilgrim. That's why I've been using that word throughout the service. It carries the idea of resident alien. Now Peter is clearly referring to followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, 
as strangers here on earth, as those who are alien residents on planet earth. Now, it logically follows that if we are resident aliens here, then we have to have our true citizenship somewhere else. Now, I, I, you, know, you know, I love genealogy and I love studying my family history. Well, this one isn't too far up the tree. When I looked at my grandpa Santo, he's also, I got his name. When I looked at his census info in 1930, um, it was marked as AL. And then when I looked it up, it means alien. <laughs> so um, that means he was a resident alien at the time here. Um, as a matter of fact, he died a resident alien. And then under the column where, where it says, where is his citizenship, the country of Italy was noted. So here's why I bring that up. So he lived here in America. He worked here. He paid taxes. He was bound to obey the laws of the land and be a good neighbor and all those other things. But his official citizenship was somewhere else. And in his case, it was in Italy. And he had all the rights and privileges uh, there to thereof of being an Italian citizen. And that meant that he had a homeland. He had a people that he belonged to. Well, Peter is saying that as Christians, we're strangers here on earth. We are sojourners. We are resident aliens. We don't ultimately belong here over the long haul. So ultimately, our allegiance is to our true king our true Lord, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, in Christ's eternal kingdom, the kingdom to come. Now, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we often don't feel at home here, that we often feel out of place. And yes, even as believers, we have this ache, we have this longing. We could be in the middle of a group of people and still feel lonely because we're not clothed with a heavenly dwelling yet. We're not with Jesus face to face. It's on this basis that twice Peter exhorts us to live godly lives by faith here in the land where we dwell as resident aliens. So this doesn't make us bad citizens of earth. It makes us excellent citizens of earth if we really take it seriously the way God tells us to. So in, for instance, just a couple things. First uh, Peter 1.17, he says this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives, what? As strangers here in reverent fear. That's the implication. Uh, then again, two, chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Vance Habner puts it this way. I want you to think this one through and don't rush past it. He says, if you are a Christian, you're not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You're a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. <laughs> that was so encouraging to me. And it's important to understand that order. But you know, we're not blocks of wood. I remember reading Calvin's Institute, he used to say that a lot. We're not blocks of wood. We're not robots. We're not... Uh, you know, inanimate objects. We have feelings. We're flesh and bone people and we long to be accepted. You care who you are, deep in your heart. You long to be loved. You long to be appreciated. You long to be welcomed. All those things touch deep chords in our hearts. We long to belong. We don't always enjoy being looked at as the odd man out. 
as weird, as strange, as being excluded, or even persecuted because we're looked at with that great word, you know, that word that's often used as foreigners. You know, you're not from around these parts, are you? It's incredible to know that in God's word in 1 Peter, he tells us that as, as those who belong to Jesus, we have a country. We do belong. There is a place where we fit in. Now, why is that so important to know deep down in your soul, in your innermost being? I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why Peter tells us why. It's because this world will give you constant reminders that you don't belong here. This world will, will give constant reminders that this home is not your country. And that's one of the main reasons we're going to see a little later that Peter wrote this whole epistle. Because the believers scattered throughout Turkey and the surrounding area were ex experiencing persecution because of their allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. There were certain things, wherever they were spread, whatever country they went to, they had to take a stand for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. And the world, in one way or another, would make them pay for it. We'll see that throughout the epistle, for sure. So, for example, and I only say this as an example, throughout Peter's letter, he talks about suffering for doing good, chapter 3, verse 17. And he affirms a fact that we'll find true in our own experience in life if we take walking with Jesus by grace through faith seriously. And that's chapter 4, verse 4. Listen, this always hits me the way Peter speaks. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on. Ever experienced that? Where the world, world around you thinks you're weird, you're odd, because you won't join in the wicked things, the wicked thoughts, that they have no problem indulging in? Get with it. You're weird. You're the odd man. Literally, they try to peer pressure you into following the values of the world and of the flesh and of the devil. And that's where that old Petra song, reflecting what Peter says here in his epistle has that they've always struck, struck so deep a chord in my heart. Um, they, they really resonate with me. I'm trying to find another way of saying that. Um, not of this world is the name of their song. We are pilgrims in a strange land. We are so far from our homeland. With each passing day, it seems so clear this world will never want us here. We're not welcome in this world of wrong. We are foreigners who don't belong. What Peter's saying is this has immense implications for us in the way that we live here and now in this fallen world. The rest of 1 Peter outlines how this truth should inform our Christian living while we are here. So just in brief, far from being arrogant, rebellious, free radicals, we're called to do something that's very strange. We're called to respect, in those, respect those who are in authority over us. I mean, Peter's going to say things that are like, what? That God wants us to be in submission to the king? And at that time, it was a pagan king in Rome? Show respect? It says, wives, uh, obey your husbands, even if they don't believe? That's insane. Well, not according to kingdom values, not if your ultimate hope is not in this flawed 
fallen place. If your ultimate hope is to glorify the one who redeemed you with his own blood, which Peter's going to talk about. Verse 19 of chapter 1. The one who redeemed you, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So the first thing Peter says is remember who you are. You are exiles. But not just exiles. This is where we're going to get heavy now. Peter says you are elect. You are chosen. So if you want to remember who you are, you also have to remember whose you are. You belong to that second point and last point. You belong to the triune God. So Peter writes here, to God's elect, and then later he says, chosen. So just as living as exiles here in a foreign land, um, and as we await the glory to come in our home country, is a common theme throughout 1 Peter, so is the idea, now listen, this is important, of God's sovereign choice in election. He refers to believers here not only as strangers, but also as God's elect, in other words, his chosen ones. Now, according to one scholar, and I kind of checked him on this, and I believe he's right on this. In the New Testament, it's the third most frequent term used to describe Christians. It's only exceeded by two other terms. We're called disciples more, we're called saints more. But the third most often word used to describe Christians is elect. Yeah, so you can't ignore, ignore that fact. Peter wants his readers to know that they're not only resident aliens in this world, but they're chosen, elect alien, resident aliens, chosen by God. That is, listen, this would be a mind blower for those uh, who in the very beginning uh, of the church, the early church, to know this, that just like the people of Israel of old, like we're going through Exodus and God chose Israel, to know that they too are equally chosen with the people of Israel. That they now in the new covenant, both Jew and Gentile who believe in Jesus are being formed to be the new Israel. They are God's holy, dearly loved, chosen people. I remember as a young believer, talking to my friend Charlie, we were walking in the woods. I was really young in the Lord, maybe a couple months. And I said, man, I'm jealous. I wish I was a Jew. And I remember what he said to me. Santa, I cannot, I'm surprised that someone like you would say that. I mean, that you would say that, knowing what you know of the gospel. And what he meant by that is, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile. If you're in Christ, that shows that God has chosen you. Be one of his dearly loved people. So Peter will put it this way later. Chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You belong to him. So that you may proclaim, listen, this is why, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. Remember that. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, a lot of times folks will say, but, but wait a minute, don't we have to believe? What's all this chosen stuff? Yes, of course, Peter affirms later on when he talks about our faith being purified and tested, of course we have to believe. He affirms that just as, as fervently as he does the fact that God is the one who sovereignly chooses ultimately. 
But the hymn writer explains how those two can live together. I love the way the hymn writer puts this. It's, it's, uh, I don't know that it's a great, uh, uh, has great music going with these words, but I like the words. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. And I think that puts it in a good perspective for us. In other words, we're only seeking him because he sought us. Uh, Jesus said this to Peter and the rest of the 12, and I'm sure this is what was ringing in Peter's mind when he wrote these words. Um, John 15, 16, Jesus said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the interesting thing is, you know, there's sometimes people will say, well, that was written to the apostles. We can't take that personal. Well, Peter says here in his epistle, yes, you can. He's applying that very thing that Jesus said to him. He's applying it to all believers now. You are elect, chosen. And then he goes on to explain himself. Um, Pete, could you grab me a tissue, if you mind? He goes on to say this in, in uh, verse 2. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So now, thank you very much, Pete. Now what, what Peter is going to do is he's going to describe three detailed aspects of our election and surprise, surprise, they each correlate with one person in the Holy Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and how all three of them play a role in our election. So first, I'm going to run through this fairly quickly. But first, he says we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I want you to understand something. When the Bible connects foreknowledge with election, it's not saying that God foresaw those who would choose him, and then on that basis, he chose them. That, that idea is far into scripture. It's not biblical at all. Peter's not simply saying that God foreknew something that was going to happen in the future. We know God knows that. No, but rather what he's saying, this is an important distinction. He's saying that God foreknew his people intimately before he even created them in space and time. God's not limited by that. So he knew you, he knew me, he knew me before we, he ever created us. Intimately, inside and out, personally. And it's not just the head knowledge that he intellectually knew us, it's that he had that intimate knowledge of us. He called you by name, he set his affection on you, and this is important to understand this, not because of anything good in you or anything good in me, not because of something incredible that you're going to do, <laughs> And certainly not because you deserved it, because of what he said, you've received what? Mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. And that would go against the, everything the Bible teaches, totally go against the gospel message itself. Look, you want proof for that? I'm going to give you one verse. Jeremiah, in chapter 1, um, this is what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, listen, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
It's a good example of foreknowledge and how it's connected to God's sovereign choice. As with his old covenant people, so now with his new covenant people, uh, Peter's saying he chose you to be his own because of his own purpose and his glory. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Chose according to the foreknowledge of God. You belong to God, my brother and my sister. Secondly, we've been chosen through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Holy Trinity in space and time, what he has done is he has set you apart for God's service, for the worship of God, the service of God, to share the gospel of God. He worked in your heart, he worked in my heart to convict you of sin, to show you your need of a Savior and to point you to Jesus. That's when your election was realized in space and time. That's how we know. Because we believe in Jesus, we can now look and say, hey, we belong to him. We've been chosen by him. And that's what the Holy Spirit continues to do to sanctify us, to mold us more and more in the image of Jesus. And he's not going to stop until he's through. And that means it's, it's the Holy Spirit's job, even though he is equal with the Father and Son, to be worshipped and to glorified. It's his job to point you to Jesus and to continue working your life so that you might glorify and honor and praise the Lord Jesus. When I was in a, one church, I actually had someone try to bring a case against me from the session because I mentioned Jesus too much and didn't give equal time to the Father and the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. The Spirit has absolutely no problem with you magnifying the name of Jesus. It's his joy. And the Father is glorified when the Son is glorified. The Spirit's not offended when you give Jesus the attention and the glory. That's what he does. He testifies to, he points to, and he leads you into a deeper knowledge and a greater obedience to Jesus. And that's what Peter says here in verse 2, the third thing that we see here. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now listen, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Listen, that's why God the Father chose you. That's why the Spirit sanctified you and continues to sanctify you. It's unto obedience to Jesus and the sprinkling. By his blood. Let's take a look at the first thing, obedience to Jesus. To live as resident aliens here, it means to take our orders from Jesus, the high king of heaven, the one who is the king of our true homeland. Peter describes our conversion as obedience to the truth in chapter 1, verse 22. That's the language Peter uses when he talks about conversion. Obedience to the truth, the truth of the gospel. It's another way of saying when you repented and believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Paul also uses this language, just in case you think it's Peter being weird. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, he describes unbelievers, Paul does, as those who what? Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, 
I'd be really remiss if I didn't point this out. Peter's epistle is really all about Jesus. You find him all over the pages of this letter. And Jesus, by the way, is the original uh, elect exile. He's the first of his brothers. Chosen by God, we'll see that in chapter 1, verse 20, and exiled to this fallen place, Jesus was, to redeem us and make us full citizens of his home country, heaven so that he could say, I go prepare a place for you. My home is your home. You're not of this world either, any more than I am. And if that doesn't encourage your soul, I don't know what else to tell you this morning, because it literally blows me out of the water. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit unto obedience to Jesus, but I want you to see something, and thank you, Peter, for including this and to sprinkling by his blood. Now, why would Peter add to sprinkling by his blood? Well, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know why that's important. Because your obedience is so far from perfect, it's not even funny. And no matter how well we obey the gospel, we need, desperately need, to be forgiven on a daily basis. We need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of all sin. I think of the story I mentioned a few weeks back in worship, where during the Last Supper, when Jesus was washing their feet, his disciples' feet, and remember Peter, uh, uh, Peter said, not my feet. He was embarrassed. And the Lord said, Peter, you don't let me do this? Then you're going to have no part of me. And so Peter says, oh, then Lord, wash my head and my whole body. And that's, uh, you know, typical Peter. But what is Jesus, how does Jesus respond? He says, he who has been taken a bath does not need to take a bath again. And then he says, uh, you are clean because of the word I spoke to you. But they only need their feet washed. We're already saved. We're already born again. We don't have to be born, born again, reborn again every time we fall. But we do need desperately, I don't care, even the holiest among us, to have our feet washed, our sins forgiven, our motivation, our motives, because of things we say we shouldn't, because of things we do that we shouldn't have done, or things that we left undone that we know we should have done as believers. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Now, Angus McKay summarized these first two verses well. I want you to hear this. I love when somebody can put it succinctly. He says this, Through the work of God, the Trinity, they have been chosen to live as exiles in this world until they reach the promised inheritance. This is who they are, God's chosen people. This is where they live as exiles in a hostile world. This is how they live, by obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, and I would add by faith. Within God's sovereign, eternal purposes, they're certainly not forgotten. They're a very special people belonging to God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Because of this, the world may send you expressions of bad intent. But hear what God sends you as an elect exile. Peter says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. 
That's God's intention for you. God's intention for you is not wrath. It's not punishment. Jesus told that. Because of Jesus, God's intentions for you are all good. Now, I'm going to ask your indulgence as I come to a close here and we begin to wrap up our time together uh, to bring up, I want to bring one, up one more thing to you as we wrap it up. And um, I actually uh, started speaking on First Peter at uh, Stockton Christian Fellowship because we're going through the book of Peter there. Um, and as I opened up the study, I'm not going to go through it all, uh, what I said to them, but as I, 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 as I opened up the study for them, I reminded them that some movies you don't really understand until you see the ending. <laughs> when you see the ending of the movie, all the rest of it makes sense. So you have to go back to the beginning to actually see it with the right spectacles. And, you know, some of those movies are, uh, that I would recommend is The Others. That's one until it doesn't make sense until the end. Uh, Sixth Sense doesn't make sense until the end, and, and etc. Well, this is true of 1 Peter as well. Peter waits till the end to tell us why he's written this letter and what, why he's bringing these points up that I just brought to you this morning and many more that we'll discover as we go through um, 1 Peter. And I want you to think about this. This really hit me just this morning. This is the Apostle Peter, one of the very first disciples chose by Jesus. He, he's of a very exclusive group, very exclusive uh, of apostles. And Jesus uh, chose him to represent him in the world, to pass on his teaching for all posterity. And, and he was often the spokesman of the 12 when we read the Gospels. He's the one that always jumped out for better or for worse and always had something to say. But here's the interesting thing. He only gave us two letters that are in the Bible. There's only two. And this is the longest of the two, five chapters. So this letter must be packed. It must be a doozy. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as we get into all these great truths we just heard, why did he write it? What's the point? And it'll inform our whole study of the rest of this epistle as we go through it passage by passage if we know the answer to that question. And that answer he actually gives us at the end of his book. It's in chapter 5, verse 12. Turn with it to me. Uh, with me, excuse me. Turn to it with me. And he writes this there. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, why did he feel compelled to write these young believers scattered throughout Turkey and, and Asia uh, to testify to them what the true grace of God looks like, encouraging them to stand fast in it? Well, I'm going to draw your attention to uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, a classic work by John Bunyan, and this will make it all clear for us, and I think this will really give a punch to the whole message. To the beginning of the book, Christian um, is a pilgrim. Uh, he's leaving the city of destruction to, to go to, to Zion, the city which is to come, the beautiful land. And as he is leaving the city of destruction, one of his fellow residents of the city of destruction, his name is Pliable, decides, hey, I, I want to go with you. That sounds like a nice land that you're talking about. Let's go. And so he begins to walk with them. And as they're walking, Christian, just like in the sermon, is telling us, telling them about the glories of heaven and what God has in store for those who love him and, and all awesome things. And then all of a sudden something happens 
And all of a sudden, they hit this bog, which um, Bunyan calls the slough of despond. And Christian starts sinking in this bog because of the, the, the pack that is on his back, which um, the, the story talks more about in Pilgrim's Progress. And all of a sudden, Pliable's confused, he, and he can't see Christian. And it's interesting because he says, where are you? And I love Christian's response. How true is this in our lives? He says, truly, I don't know. <laughs> How refreshing is that? You're all messed up. You're in a trial. You go to the, you know, the other person. Hey, brother, where? I really don't know. But here's Pliable's response to that very honest question. When a believer's, other believer is going through a, a trouble, or in this case, a believer, because we're going to see Pliable wasn't. At that, Bunyan writes, Pliable began to be offended. And angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you've told me about all this while? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? If I get out again with my life, you will possess the brave country alone. And with that he gave a de desperate struggle or two, got out of the mire on that side of the slough which was next to his own house. So away he went, Listen, and Christian saw him no more. Why did Peter write this to us and to the new believers back then? Because when you're initially saved in most, most cases, when you're initially converted, you have such joy, an inexpressible joy of sins forgiven, of the promise of heaven. You're a new person. You have this blank slate ahead of you and you just feel uh, enraptured by the grace of God. And it won't take long before your faith will be tested. Before you realize that life on this side of glory is, it's hard at times. It can be perplexing. Like Christian, you can say, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't understand it. And there will be times where he'll be flat out persecuted and experience suffering for Jesus. So they would need that assurance, Peter's readers and us, you and I today, that indeed they were walking in the true unmerited favor and blessing of God Almighty in Christ. That's shown in Christ alone. Trials, temptations, and tribulations, far from being signs that you're on the wrong road, listen, my brother and my sister, they give strong evidence that you're on the road to Zion by God's amazing grace. So Peter is saying, stay the course, continue to obey Jesus by faith, trust in him. It doesn't matter what the citizens of this world do to you. You don't belong here anyway. You're God's chosen resident alien, Look forward to the world of the life to come and keep your eyes on the prize. Can I get a hallelujah? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book and we thank you that it has a purpose that, that you moved through your Holy Spirit to write this incredible love letter of yours through your servant Peter, who's now with you in your presence. And so, Father, we pray that as we are still those on this side of glory and we still have somewhat some amount of time to live here, that you would give us such great encouragement and strength through your gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would keep our eyes fixed on our heavenly country and live like it here in this earthly land where you have placed us, that we might live for the glory 
and for the honor and the adoration of King Jesus, our Savior, who redeemed us with his own precious blood. Thank you, Father, for choosing us and sanctifying us through your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.